Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. It is Championship Sunday. Welcome to TC Live at the U.S. Open, our one-hour post-game show to break down the men's final and wrap up an incredible two weeks of tennis at the year's final Grand Slam. History made inside Arthur Ashe Stadium today in a city known for skyscrapers. Novak Djokovic stands above them all. His 24th major title, the most in the Open era, and fourth U.S. Open trophy, the Goat of Goats continues to dominate at 36 years old, a legacy of greatness that for now appears like it could last as long as the lights stay on in Times Square. Come on into our studio, Steve Weissman, Paul Anacone, Chanda Rubin, Prakash Amitraj, 24. What a number for Novak Djokovic. It is something that is beyond words, Paul, but as somebody who has coached two of the greats of all time in Pete Sampras, Roger Federer, try to put this in perspective for us. Well, for me... Whenever I see matches like this, I always try to put my student hat on and learn, right? And you, you see the result and you see what happens, but I always try to figure out why. You know, when you look at the numbers of what Novak's done throughout his career, they continue to just astound me. And you look at the pivotal moments. There's about seven minutes in the second set where that match totally could have been flipped on its head. And magically and away with will and expertise and experience, Novak gets through and turns that into a 6-3-7-6-6-3 routine match, but not really. Right. And so you try to figure out why. And I just remember I have Pete Sampras whispering in my ear because I used to ask him all this stuff. And he used to say, you know what? Sometimes good just wins, but good doesn't beat great very much. Wow. And, wow. you know, Medvedev is very good and he's right there to being great. But Novak is an all-time great. And maybe there's just not a why. Maybe it's just that big moment. Mm. So as much as we try to figure it out, I tell you, I used to have a full head of hair. I don't anymore <laughs> trying to figure it out. But now I just sit back and I just applaud. I mean, it is so much fun just to watch this guy do what he does. It's absolutely miraculous. Yeah, it's the conundrum for players coming up against him. It's it's the you know, idea of how do I beat him? How do I get on top against somebody who seems to keep getting better with everything that he has accomplished, with everything that is on his resume? He still is looking for that little extra bit that he can put into play in matches under pressure. We saw him serving and volleying. We saw him coming in, the little half volleys, just finding that additional level. And you wonder how far can he keep going? And it just seems like it's unlimited. It was unbelievable, unbelievable to see that in real time, to see him work through a match against a tough opponent, a tough out, and he gets it done once again. At, at this stage in his career, he's just going from peak to peak, height to height. And it's not something that the, the average person can even understand. None of us can know what it's like to be in those shoes, because quite frankly, no one has been in those shoes. So it's difficult for me to even talk about the tennis when you witness something like this. For me, it's really about what the mind, body, spirit, and soul can do 
I mean, when you took a look at him there in the second set, in, in many ways, we, we thought he was gone. I mean, the guy was collapsing. It looks like his legs were out. And somehow he summons that more. And I, I'm not saying we need to all compare ourselves to a Novak Djokovic, because, of course, you can't. But it just kind of shows you when, when you think you're done and there's nothing left and you're able to just pull out mm. that little extra, it's, it's so much more than just about tennis. What a, what a gift that match was. Superhuman, Novak Djokovic. Yeah. 72 majors played. 36 finals, that's half of them, 24 titles. A third of the time he stepped on the court at a major, he's ended up with the trophy above his head. Let's take you through the highlights, starting in the first set, Prakash. This is a rematch, of course, from a couple years ago when Medvedev did beat Djokovic. Well, Novak got off to such a keyed start. He was hanging right up on the baseline, trying to find those down the lines early. Got off to a great start, not just on the return, but on the serve. Only lost three points on his first serve. In that first set, was at 82% first serve points won. And again, was always stepping forward, finding his way into the net, hitting some blazers up the line on both sides. We all know he can do it on the backhand side, but right there, you've seen him doing it on the forehand side. Did a tremendous job on the second serve returns as well. Medvedev only winning 27% of his second serve points. And this is for a guy who served extremely well in the semis against Alcaraz was able to still put up a little bit of a fight here on his serve, trying to save a set point over there, makes Novak serve it out, but just at the end of the day, Novak just came in so keyed in, not just in the tennis, but between the ears, managing the emotions, which are very difficult to control in a match like this. And when winning the first set at the U.S. Open, Chad, and Novak Djokovic, 72-1. and one. So uh, pretty good heading into the second set, which was extremely tight. And we saw some breaks of serve. Yeah, I mean, it, we may have been surprised by how one-sided that first set was. But the second set was the complete opposite. That was a huge point from Djokovic, one of the terrific points at the net. We saw him hitting half volleys. We saw him defending his position up there. Some tense games. He was serving from behind the entire set under pressure. This was a set point. And we wondered, why didn't Medvedev go down the line there? But Djokovic read the play. He was there. A little smile. He kind of got out of trouble there, got it to the tiebreak. Medvedev got the early lead. But this second set was a battle. We look at the entire match time. This second set was over half the match. That's how important it was. Would Medvedev be able to put a little pressure, get that second set, or would Djokovic stretch the lead? And it was Djokovic just finding something a little more special in the important moments down the stretch. Again, Djokovic a little further behind the baseline, but it paid off, outlasting Medvedev at the end of that second set, and that was a huge advantage. An hour and 44 minutes, Paul, for that second set. Just that one set, and when Novak won that, you knew the third. It, it was his to claim. It was, I mean, look, it's a long way back after that because uh, Medvedev had those chances. Look at that, three hours and two minutes. It's just 3-2 in the second set. I'm sorry, in the third set, and Novak puts the pressure on, does such a great job. Um, just kind of keeping the pedal to the metal. Guys, one of the most amazing things about a great player is we all know we're all creatures of habit, right? Great players tend to not have to adjust. Daniel Medvedev's one of the few players where Novak Djokovic has to adjust. And what does he do? He comes to the net 44 times and wins 37 of those points. That's an 84% success rate. He knew he had to do it. It's what he did. It's what gave him momentum. Serve him volleyed at the big moments. And the third set, it was cruise control. And that man just continues to do remarkable things. How about the first man to win three majors in a season four different times and collapsing on the court, going up into the stands. 
Uh, Matthew McConaughey there giving him a big hug. All the family and friends as well. Novak actually took a seat, Chad. We never see the player just take a seat. He needed to relax a little <laughs> bit among family and friends. Why not? And this shirt, pulling that out, was something special, too. Mamba forever. That was special. Number 24. He's had a great relationship with Kobe Bryant. Let's hear from Novak Djokovic. I never imagined that I would be here sitting, standing with you talking about 24 slams. I ne never thought that, that's, that that would be the reality, but, uh, you know, uh, the last couple of years I felt I have a chance, I have a shot at the history, um, and why not grab it if it's presented? That 24 looks good on the jacket, Paul. Uh, what stood out to you from these stats? Well, look at that uh, second serve success point a number from Novak, 53 against one of the best returners. And from Medvedev, only 38%. Novak is putting so much pressure on his second serve points and doing such a great job by putting that pressure on Medvedev. And that gave him a little bit more freedom on the first serve. Novak winning 8 out of 10 of his first serve points. And Prakash, you and I were uh, pulling our hair out in the green room <laughs> wondering why Medvedev didn't shift when Novak was serving and volleying every time out wide in the do side. This is what great players do. Yep. They see one little thing and all of a sudden exploit it until you're paralyzed and you can't do anything. He, he's amazing. Yeah, and, and you bring up the great point that Novak was actually able to change his game and figure out a way to beat Medvedev where Medvedev stayed 20 feet behind the baseline that entire match. We bring in John Wertheim now who is standing by in New York in Arthur Ashe Stadium. John, great to see you as always. Tell us about the atmosphere inside there and your reaction, of course, to Novak getting number 24. Yeah, I don't know if you guys can hear me because the atmosphere here is uh, still pretty intense. Novak doing an, another victory lap. People don't want to leave. We've got a lot of Serbian fans, including uh, several just a couple uh, feet above me. But no, I this was one of these matches where I think for the first 90 minutes or so, people came really ready for, for a great sporting event. We had all sorts of celebrities. We had Andre DiCaprio, and we had Little Wayne, and Matthew McConaughey, you saw Novak Fox. And after that second set, I think it took on a different tenor of let's just admire greatness. The suspense of the outcome probably wasn't so much in doubt, but there was really this sort of shift to we might not have a great competitive classic tennis match. You know what? We do have a chance to watch one of the great athletes. And I kept thinking with all these celebrities here, as great an actor as Leonardo DiCaprio may be, as great a singer as Justin Timberlake may be, do any of them do their chosen field better than Novak Djokovic plays tennis? I think there was a real sense that these are high achievers, and even so, they are mm. watching a completely different plane of achiever. And uh, it really, the last hour or so, almost seemed like a coronation, like a, almost like a concert for uh, Go Admire Novak Djokovic. He's 36 years old and still brings the hits. Uh, it, it sort of shifted after that second set, and uh, everybody went home happy. We all saw history, maybe not a classic match, but once again, we're all exhausting the, uh, the inventory of adjectives for Novak, but uh, just to tack on to what you guys were saying, 36 years old, ranked number one, and he came within a few points in the Wimbledon final of winning all four majors. He'll start 2024 as the defending champ of three of the four majors at age 36. Um, I, I, I give up. I mean, we're, we're, we're done, uh, we're done <laughs> trying to sort of uh, frame this greatness. Now, you bring up some great points there because, in my opinion, Novak Djokovic remains the greatest athlete on the planet at 36 years old, which is insane to think about at that age. He's literally the oldest man to ever win the U.S. Open, and he's number one in the world. And right now, of course, at 24, most major singles titles in the Open era. There is no question about it, and he is probably going to add on to that, John. How many more do you think 
Novak finishes up with. I mean, you, you look at what he did here, and you just said it, Steve. I mean, he, he came in in some ways as, as the player to beat, one of the top two favorites. And, you know, look, look what he does. I mean, yeah, he hasn't dropped a set in the second week. I mean, it's just, why, why can't he keep going? What, what indication would you have gotten this tournament that he is slowing down in any way? And again, I mean, here he enters the year in which he turns 37 as the defending champ of three of the four majors. If he, if he got to 30, would it surprise any of you guys? Prakash, what do you think? Well, uh, you know, uh, th th that's my real fault. Right what I'm dumbfounded is we just saw that list, right? We just saw that list that he's, he's ahead of everyone right now, tied, of course, with Margaret Court, but he has every record in the book. So if you're not comparing yourself to someone, if you're not trying to get ahead of someone, how do you keep just trying to top yourself each and every time? You have to almost create more motivation, more stories within your head, and he somehow seems to be able to keep doing it. Uh, there's, it's tough to stop him over the next few years. I mean, you've got to look at him having a chance at least for the next couple of years as, as one of the top couple favorites. Mm -hmm. Maybe on the way down, as his prime slips, he squeezes out one more. I mean, 30 is probably within reach. I, I, I don't think he gets to 30, but 30 is 30 is within reach. Yeah, I think it is absolutely within reach. And, and you talk about how do you keep finding the motivation. I think for Djokovic, you start serving and volleying. You challenge yourself to, you know, serve and come in and hit half volleys. And I think that's something he's been looking at doing for the last few years with the doubles he's been playing and throwing these plays into singles matches. I mean, oftentimes we see greatness and they're innovators. You know, they're seeing two or three years ahead. And I think for Djokovic, absolutely, he's kind of looking that far ahead. And with the form that we see him physically, the shape that he's in, why not? I mean, I was saying 28, mm -hmm. but I mean, that's pretty close to 30. Why not? Yeah, I, I look, I, I've said this in many different conversations. One of my favorite cliches is that we doubt greatness at our own peril, right? Because they are uh, absolutely the exception, not the rule. Uh, that being said, one of the most amazing things about the greatest of the greats is they evolve. And, and we're seeing Novak Djokovic evolve. We're seeing him get better. He's getting better at the net. He's serving volley today. Did a bunch of different things. I, I think that um, there's no reason for the next two years, that's eight majors, he's not going to be the significant favorite in all eight of those. Mm -hmm. So the way things are going, what did you say? He's been winning one of three for his whole career, basically? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so, exactly right. Okay. <laughs> and, and so you, you look at those numbers, and there's no reason he shouldn't get to 28. And then I think that there's probably another year where he's still trying to figure things out exactly what he wants to do. I, I don't see any reason why 28 isn't really realistic. The one thing I will say about him slowing down, we don't see much. Today, we saw what a really, really good baseliner can do to someone even as great as Novak. He can take his legs out a little bit. And that was in the second set. That was two hours in, a little over two hours in. We've never really seen that two hours in. Even the great Novak Djokovic is getting a little bit older. So he was a little bit fatigued for five to seven minutes in the second set. What did he do? He found a way to get his second win and still win the match. So you're seeing a little bit of that, but there's not enough great players. And by great, I mean his level great that can push him to do that all the time. So he is just a phenom. I, I don't, I'm kind of at a loss to figure out exactly what he can't do. I mean, it's just amazing. Yes, and win in straight sets. Not like... You know, he's still one in three. Right. I mean, he closes this thing out. 
Talk to, talk to us about the serve and volley and that tactic, and Chanda brings it up, something new that he has brought to the arsenal to be able to defeat a guy like Daniil Medvedev. Yeah, well, you look at Medvedev, he's returning basically behind my house in East Hampton, Long Island, trying to return <laughs> that serve, and you're not going to be able to do that against someone that serves and volleys, but no one really does that consistently in today's game. But guess what? Novak Djokovic said, you know what? You're going to give me that space, I'm going to come forward. Even at a huge moment like this, down break point, because Novak knows with his volleying skills now, all he has to do is hit that volley to the open court and he wins the point. And he knows as well as he shored up those volleying skills, he can do that. And so he's finding ways to exploit and he's maximizing those things. These numbers, I mean, he's breaking all the records, but to do it at that age, 36 years young, oldest man to win the U.S. Open, he will exit New York as number one in the world, Chanda. He replaces Carlos Alcaraz at the top, and he still has, he wants the Grand Slam. He told us in Paris, said, I want the Grand Slam. That is something, listen, he enters Australia, he's won that ten times. I think he's I got a good shot right? next year. I mean, I, I, I was thinking about this as Are we, we saw really him. talking about it's that? Crazy. It's crazy. Absolutely nuts. But I mean, I think this could be his year coming up for the Grand Why Slam. Not? I mean, it's the, insane. The one, the one thing I will talk about is, look, body-wise, it's hard to imagine that you think of LeBron James, someone who's been able to achieve this kind of longevity at this kind of level. And he, Novak's, of course, doing it in an individual sport. I just I also want to see if he can continue to manufacture this this unrelenting motivation within his head. He's got a beautiful family now. You know the kids are playing tennis. He has so many different business interests, all sorts of stuff. It's it's difficult to have this kind of single minded. You don't have kids yet. That is the motivation. <laughs> that is the motivation. That's time, Jan. That's time away. I mean, he's he's still able to be so committed. It's it's. Yeah. It's mind-boggling. And, you know, perhaps when that shifts, you know, Serena talked about evolving away at some point. It will eventually happen to all the greatest warriors in the world. Mm. What, will, what will that do at that point? John, what, what do you think is the motivation driving Novak Djokovic over the next couple of years? I think he's really, really good at finding motivation. I think that's always been a skill of his. Sometimes it seems manufactured. Sometimes it's legit. But I think that's a real strength that we maybe don't even talk about enough with him i think he doesn't mind putting a little cushion between him you know all records are made to be broken well okay fine but i'm not going to stop at 23 or 24 or 25 i'm really going to create some space and then i think chen is right i think some of the, I, I think he got a lot of motivation from alcaraz and i think for, even with ben shelton hey listen i'm almost these guys are closer in age to my son than they are to me i'm going to put these kids in my place but i also think chen raises a really good point which is find organic inspiration I'm going to serve in volley more. I, you know, it's, it's Sabre with Roger. I mean, I think there's sort of things he can do just strictly in terms of tennis, in testing his racket skills, in testing his body. Maybe it won't take someone on the other side of the net to provide that, that motivation. I think he's really good at generating that internally. Oh, absolutely. This is a guy who finds motivation within his soul and better than any athlete that I've ever seen. You, you hear Daniil Medvedev say after the match, I've won 20 titles. I think I've had a pretty good career, a major. This guy's won 24 majors. I mean, that's it's incredible <laughs> stuff. We will continue to talk about Novak Djokovic and his 24th major title at the U.S. Open throughout TC Live. We are also going to talk about Coco Golf, who got her very first major title yesterday. We will revisit that here from the new... Grand Slam champion plus Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy shares his U.S. Open experience and why his Twitter avatar is a photo of Arena Sabalenka. 
We'll also count down the best of the best from the past two weeks in New York. Who's going to take the top spot? Tay-Tay, back after this. TC Live at the U.S. Open is brought to you in part by Tennis Point, the official racket sports retailer of the ATP Tour. How's this for a final? Coco Golf against Arena Sabalenka. That's too good. Sabalenka's going to come up with a couple of those on big points. And means that she's not going to back down from her power? Not sure she knows how to. There it is. The first set goes to Arena Sabalenka. Some nutty errors from Sabalenka. And Goff now with a chance. Let's see if this thing goes the distance. That's where it's going. Goff, a lot of credit to her. Starting to play more free, starting to dictate play a little bit more, and really starting to get under the skin of Sabalenka. Get up, Coco Goff. You've just won the U.S. Open. There, can you believe it? <laughs> Everyone who made this tournament possible, thank you so much. And thank you, New York. Oh, my God, this means so much. Thank you. Smooch to seal it. Can't get enough of that smile. 19 years old, Coco Golf, third American teen to win the U.S. Open title, joining our own Tracy Austin and the great Serena Williams, third title in her last four events. How about losing just one match since Wimbledon? Incredible stuff at a career high. The top-ranked American in the world now. She is a major champion, Coco Golf. Uh, John Wertheim with us from New York as well. And, John, what was most impressive to you about Coco being able to take the title yesterday? We were talking about Novak Djokovic and his elasticity of time still playing like this at 36. In a different way, I also think what Coco does with time is really impressive. She was the younger player by far. This was a lot of pressure. She's still a teenager, and that was an absolute veteran poised performance. She let the opponent make the errors. She recovered after losing the first set. Was this her cleanest match? Was this the most winner she's ever hit in the match? Absolutely not, only 13. But what she did was out-veteran the veteran. And that was just a mature way to win your first major. She didn't get tight. She didn't try to play to the crowd. She just did what she does a lot these days, which is play poised, mature tennis, add that to her athleticism, her shot making, her speed, her skills. But her maturity is what really impressed me the most, guys. I'm going to echo John's thoughts here. I mean, talking about, you know, the veteranness on the court and how that was able to translate to really digging in after you lose that first set, not letting the emotions get the best of you. I almost want to magnify that when you look at all the stuff off the court as well. I mean, Coco Gauff for a while now has just been on the precipice of being an absolute cross-sport, cultural, absolute mm -hmm. icon here. You had every celeb in the house there. You have everyone pulling for her to win. It's going to be a monumental disappointment for everyone. 28,000, way more than capacity, if she's able to go down. And somehow with all of that, with the platform that she uses, and she's been talking the talk, there comes a point where you really have to walk the walk at the highest level, and it's so much easier said than done. The fact that she was able to manage all of that and, as John said, be able to put that into the mm. play in this situation, down a set against the best player in the world going for their second Grand Slam. It, it, it's tough to actually put into words how significant that is at the age of 19. Well, I think the biggest thing is as athletes and as human beings, we all like to control as much as we can, right? And, and I think in an athlete's mind, you want to control your destiny. And uh, Coco had zero control of her destiny the first set, 
I mean, she just got hit off the court against a player who is unbelievably difficult to play against when she plays well. So to see a 19-year-old go through a set like that in that environment with that much expectation, with the, those people there, everything was shining down on her. To not panic, your favorite phrase, she did not panic. <laughs> and all she did was do what Coco Golf does. At 19 years of age, she problem-solved, she found solutions, and there were solutions that said, you know what, I'm using my athleticism, smart shot selection, making her at extra balls going to shrink the court if the ball's there to hit i'm going to hit it if it's not i'm going to make her play more and that's all she did it sounds really simple try doing it with 28,000 people and about 15 million watching on tv and being 19 years of age she executed it like she's done it 50 times and that really is her springboard to greatness this is just the beginning there's going to be a lot more but to manage yourself like that and dare i say win a match like that and not play your best tennis that's pretty amazing yeah, there's been so many eyes on Coco Golf since, you know, she's come out on tour at such a young age. And, you know, with, in this day and age, with all the social media, with television, with how quickly, you know, news moves around the globe, that can't have been easy for her, you know, to sort of work under. And yet she's managed it. And, you know, you can say she was a teenager, you know, she had plenty of time, but as a player, it can never come quickly enough. And I know at times she felt like, why not me? When you start seeing, you know, other players win majors, get their, their first big title, and it wasn't happening, but she kept the faith. And even after that Wimbledon loss, for me, the way she's responded, the way she's kind of recovered and reset, all the factors that went into that, I think that has been probably the most impressive thing. And there were a number of matches where she came down, uh, came from behind, down a set, all that pressure on her first match, first round of the tournament, and she's down a set and, and the match is tricky and all this expectation, and yet she finds a way to dig in, to not let the pressure get to her, to not be a victim of the moment. She did it again in the final, and it's just been impressive all the way around in terms of her mindset and her will as well. She is a master of the moment, Coco Goff. Let's take you back to yesterday and that final against Arena Sabalenka, Chanda. And as we talked about, it was all... Sabalenka in this first set really dictating with her power. Yeah, Sabalenka can do that. She can take the racket out of any player's hand. And golf didn't play badly, but she got out hit. She was defensive. She was getting balls back, but Sabalenka had the answers. In the second set, things turned right here. Sabalenka had a game point. Golf using her wheels, her speed to defend there, get the winner. She would break in that game. And that really got her the momentum to move forward. She also started stepping in, playing a little more aggressive, coming into the net, putting herself in better position. Sabalenka fell off a little bit. We started seeing a few more unforced errors as well. And golf just fed off of that. She's one of the more solid players out there and solid mentally. And I think that was the big part of this comeback as well. Never easy closing out a match against Sabalenka, but if you're going to do it, you do it that way. A terrific effort, huge win, incredible moment for Coco Golf. Yeah, do it with your signature shot, right? <laughs> the backhand winner down the line for Coco Golf. After the match, talk about some of the motivation to raise that trophy. Literally, like up until like 10 minutes before the match, I was just reading comments of people saying I wasn't going to win today. Um, <laughs> And that just put the fire in, in me. I don't know. I just felt like, you know, people are like, oh, she's hit her peak and she's done. Um, and she's, it was all hype. And I see the comments. People think I don't see it, but I see it. I'm very aware of tennis Twitter. I know y'all use her names. Um, so I know who's talking trash and I can't wait to look on it on Twitter right now.
She knows tennis Twitter. Who is talking trash? And those, those words resonated with me. I, I, I felt that. I, I love that she stood on top of the world and dropped the mic on her haters. John, what did you think? I think her hater was uh, Fathead0263 and Paula Baker, a couple of Russian bots. Um, again, whatever motivates an athlete, that's great. I, I don't get a lot of Coco hate. I, I think most people, uh, you know, the five of us included, are. Uh, Quite impressed by her, quite optimistic about her prospects. I think after she won Washington, there was a lot of relief. A lot of people saying, great, this is a, a burden lifted, and maybe now she could win the U.S. Open. I, I'm not quite sure how deep she's delving to find this criticism because uh, I, I don't tend to think it's coming uh, from people that follow the sport particularly closely. But, hey, if, if that's what motivates her to win majors, uh, go find those Russian bots, Coco. Listen, I, it, it, I feel like this day and age is different. I talked to my parents about this, and they didn't understand. I was like... Coco Goff has grown up in social media. She has grown up checking her phone and seeing what people say on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, right? And, and so that's a different world than people of the past grew up in and, and understood. Are you and calling us old? No, I'm not calling you old. <laughs> Did you hear that? You're, you're, you're in social media, but it, 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 listen, it's different. And, and you see that, and you may have 99 people that love you, Prakash. What do you remember? The one person that didn't. Listen, if, you, if you're going to keep the receipts and it's going to help you, then, then you do it. But I, I heard LeBron tell a great story, and that's exactly what I think of when, when Coco talks about this. He said, you know, sometimes I, I go into the stadium and I'm not, I'm not feeling 100%. I don't have everything there. Sometimes I just, I just look in the crowd. I, I just look for that one LeBron hater because I know they're out there. Let me see. Oh, 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 there's one. Oh, yeah, that, that's all I need today. That's it. And you know what? People find it in love. People find it in hate, whatever it is. Coco seemed to really use that as fuel. I mean, she was as keyed in as we've ever seen her this entire summer. So if that's her thing, that's her thing. And, uh, you know, even if it is, Paul, as you may, you know, may say, one or two out of ten, focus on those one or two. Fathead, uh, three, six, nine. Whoa, 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 Johnson. Whoa. Well, I don't know how much looking at the comments helped because she didn't get off to a great start in terms of the match and playing aggressively. But I do think there is, you know, something to be said by focusing on something that helps you get outside of yourself and get outside of, of where you are and talk about all the pressure that, you know, she has been under in terms of the eyes on her, the expectations, people saying, oh, you have all these expectations, but they're unwarranted. You're not going to do what everyone thinks. And I think for golf, it was very important for her to find a way to still play through all of that, which she has done a terrific job of doing. So if it meant, you know, looking at some comments and just having that in the back of your mind, using that as fuel or, or just something to focus on. I mean, a lot of times as tennis players, we create things that mm -hmm. aren't there. We look on the other side of the court. Oh, they picked their towel up and looked at me funny. I'm a... Beat him. I'm going to beat him down. Like, you know, you find some ways to get yourself in the proper place. And I think for golf, whether, you know, we see it or not, the fact that it's what her experience has been and it was part of the motivation, I think is absolutely reasonable. Hopefully she looks at more of the good comments now and, and she feels that. Uh, but I definitely think this is a lot of pressure lifted off her shoulders, having gotten this first major with everything she expected of herself. So good honor. But, but to your point, Steve, growing up in that social media world, and, and that's all you know, it certainly is more magnified. Well, I, let, let me talk to you from a coach's point of view, because yeah. that's why I'm here. Okay? <laughs> so from a coach's point of view, um, you do whatever you can to get your player motivated. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, you try to coach your player according to what their personality is. And, and Coco Goff has been one of the most shining lights in the star that we've seen, in the shining star in the sky that we've seen in so long. Very optimistic, very happy-go-lucky. 
The problem with being negatively motivated is the better you get, the more negativity there is. And that doesn't seem to me to be her personality. So I could tell her as a coach, I would be fine with her being aware of it, but you want to minim minimize it. I understand social media is very promising. Back in the dark ages, Steve, when I coached Tim Henman in England, <laughs> you should have seen what the newspapers looked like every uh -huh. day. So for eight weeks before Wimbledon every year, he was, not to, he was not reading any newspapers because it was all of the catastrophizers. So all of these haters that were um, calling out to Coco, first of all, it's comical because I'd like to know who they are. Who doesn't think Coco's going to keep growing is absolutely comical. But second of all, I think she should just be a little bit careful about being negatively motivated because the better you get, the more expectation there is. And I always say this. The great players only make news when they lose. So the more she wins, the more haters she's going to have, and the more challenged it's going to be if that's what's driving her. It's fine to be aware of it, but don't let it turn into something that drives you in a direction where if things don't go well quickly on a tennis court, guess what's going to happen? That stuff leaks in and your tennis level will drop. She's too optimistic for that, and she's too good for it. Be aware of it, but don't let it drive you. I'll say this as well. She went on Instagram Live this morning. I mean, you don't see major champions just go on the Instagram Live, talk to their fans. She was on there for like 15 minutes. She said, I'm going to the Giants game tonight. She said she's striving for more greatness. What you put in this world, you will receive. Love that. So put out kindness. I mean, that, that's, what that's what she uses her platform it's for. Exactly what I'm She's saying. trying to get more kindness out there. What you put out, you will receive. So congratulations, Coco, once again. First major title. Doing your thing and uh, enjoy the game tonight, right? I mean, give me going as a U.S. Open champion. Yeah. Let's go love it. She said she's going to be on some national morning show tomorrow as well, but couldn't give it away yet. Only one? But then she's like, it's 5 a.m., oh i got to wake up. Maybe I should have said no to that. <laughs> like she, she's so honest and, and, and charming. Coming up next, we got Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy joining us to talk about his new love for tennis and Arena Sabalenka. A reminder to everybody, the newly enhanced USOpenShop.org is the official shop for 2023 US Open merchandise. Get US Open gear for the whole family. Check out a variety of one-of-a-kind accessories. Visit USOpenShop.org today. More TC Live after this. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. Sports entrepreneur, influencer, and founder of Barstool Sports, Dave Portnoy, went to the U.S. Open for the first time last week and fell in love with the sport. Gave the honey deuce a 7.7. One sip, everyone knows the rules. Watched Arena Sabalenka on court, decided to go all in on the new world number one. Bet big on Sabalenka in the semifinals, which was an emotional roller coaster. Said, quote, it was the biggest war I have ever 
been in. Posted that on his Instagram. Stayed with her in the finals. And how about this? Dave Portnoy even changed his Twitter avatar to a photo of Arena Sabalenka. And it remains there to this day. Arena Sabalenka, the avatar for Dave Portnoy. We now welcome in El Prez making his debut on TC Live. It is great to have you on the show and great to have you loving some tennis. Yeah, I got I got to say Elon won't let me change my profile on Twitter. <laughs> I did change it back and they don't let you do that anymore. So I'm stuck with uh, I'm not mad I guess about it, but I'm stuck with her for the time being as my profile. Stuck with Sabalenka. She's number 1 in the world. Not 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 too bad to I be repping pick. the number 1 player in the world. Uh, <laughs> Dave, I, I got to ask you about your experience. What was that experience like for you at the US Open and how has it affected your investment both emotionally and financially in our sport? Yeah, so I, I had never been to the U.S. Open. I got offered tickets, and I know it's a very New York thing. Everyone says, and I'm from Boston, but I've been in New York 10 years, and I had never gone. So I went, uh, and Sabalenko just happened to be playing when I sat down for the first moment. So she was kind of the first person I saw. I had no idea who she was, <laughs> um, and she was hitting the ball a bazillion miles per hour. It looked like she was playing a, uh, a woman in kindergarten. Like, I'm not sure who she was playing, but she was dominating this poor person. And I kind of, she was animated. I liked watching her. And I kind of fell in love with her style. Um, and then I also, so, and then I bet the match after that. Now, betting tennis is is not for the faint of heart. I bet everything. <laughs> I bet NFL. I bet baseball. You name it, college. I bet. Like, that's what I, I do a lot. Tennis, every point is a war. And I started betting on Sabalenka every match. And she was a heavy favorite right up to the finals. So I had 50 grand on her in the game against Keys to win 20. And, I mean, she lost 6-0 the first set. <laughs> and that, was back so that was, like, the hardest thing I've ever had to watch. Um, and she actually invited me to sit in her box for the finals, which... Uh, we had a football event. I was at Alabama, Texas. I regret that. I think I maybe would have been able to change the outcome and kept her calm a little. <laughs> For sure. It also would have been like me versus all of the stadium and me versus the entire country. Everyone's already <laughs> calling me like a communist for rooting for her. So it would have been, uh, it would have been fun. But, yeah, I, I'm kind of in love with watching her. I like the video when she smashed the racket after. Like, she's exciting. She reminds me of, like, old school Jimmy Connors or something. Well, Dave, listen, I don't know that you could have had a better first tennis experience than, than what you just described, but let's, let's get into the nitty-gritty here a little bit. The bet, did you, did you just take it straight up? There are so many different ways you can bet on tennis. I mean, individual points, individual sets. So, so what did it look like? Yeah, so I had, the, I had Sabalenka to win straight sets and win the match in the second, I'm not talking about the finals. I'm talking um, before keys. I had, so the, after I saw her, I bet her, I don't even remember who she, she destroyed somebody. Versus keys, I just had the match. She was minus, I think, 275. Yeah, so that was the 50 grand to basically win 20. Yesterday, she wasn't as big a favorite. She was only minus 130, minus 125. So I put 50 grand on her to win again. And here's the thing. I watched every point of the first set. And she was 
dominating. It looked like she was blowing Coco into the third row with every shot. The only point she lost was when she was trying to be too fine. She'd go for a corner. Then we had our show, which started right as the second set started. I still don't know what happened because I haven't <laughs> seen the second or third set. And it... It was almost like the reverse of the night before. She was dominating. I don't know how she lost. It looked like Coco couldn't handle her power. So you, so you, you, you went with part of a parlay in that semi, and then she just rode your confidence up. So you went, you went big on the final day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I fell in love with her, and she kept winning, <laughs> and she hit the ball so much harder than her opponents, with the exception of Keys, who kind of matched it. But, I mean, again, I only saw the first set versus Coco. Coco could not handle her power in the first set, so I have no idea what changed, whether it was Sabalenka was... Sometimes I feel like she tries to get too fine, like she's in love with her own powers, like, I'm just going to hit it into the alley, into the corner, and you'll have no chance. I thought if she just kept whacking it at her... That Coco couldn't handle it, but clearly something changed. I didn't see it. It's pretty good analysis. Yeah, and, I mean, <laughs> breaking it down. I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more tennis content on Barstool Sports going forward. And and I loved what you put out on your Instagram with putting your head on Arena Sabalenka <laughs> when she was smashing those rackets. I mean, take a look at this, Dave. Yeah, uh, she reposted that. I saw. She did. She said, "I'm dead." With all yeah, the laughing emojis. Yeah, become like fast friends with her. All Sabalenka wants is people to root for her <laughs> down deep. She always said, "Just root for me. Just root for me." So I'm in her corner for life now. Now, are you going to be attending more tennis events? Are you going to be betting on Sabalenka in every Honestly, event going forward? If I could have skipped my own event, I would have. Or if the U.S. Open, I, I hate how they played. I don't even like how they're doing it now. I think these should be primetime events for the finals. I think they should be at night. Um, but, yeah, I will go to the U.S. Open when she's back. And I live in Miami half the year. And I know the Miami Open is a pretty big thing. So I'm going to go try to support. I actually was talking to her. She lives in Miami. So I'm going to just try to meet her. But I, I, she's electric. I like watching. Even when she was winning, she's so animated and I'm sure there's women in the past because I'm not the biggest tense. I haven't seen anyone react quite like her when she's like throwing her rackets at her coaches and they're kind of <laughs> laughing at her. She's she's quite entertaining to watch. So, Dave, listen, I, I think awesome. you're, you're, you're with your enthusiasm. You're going to be driving a bunch more eyeballs to the Barstool Sportsbook to be able to bet on tennis. So now with this experience that you've gathered... What, what are you going to do differently or, or do uh, uh, next time you come on to bet? Well, here's what I've been warned, because people know me. And they're like, Dave, if you start betting tennis, what you're going to run into is there's tournaments like every single day. And you can go down a rabbit hole. So you, I'm going to be a little careful because it will take years off my life. But I did <laughs> like what I did. I found somebody that I really enjoyed watching. And, uh, I mean, that late-night match that she had versus Keys. I, I mean, I saw the stats that no one had come back in a major, I think, from down 6 losing 6-0 um, in, like, 20 years. And the other thing with tennis, you know, it's not like football, baseball, basketball, where if you lose 6-0 in the first – that's the equivalent of like 35 nothing, but they reset the score, you know? So it's not like you're, it, it, you can never get comfortable, even if you feel like when I stepped out on set after she won 6 2, I was like, this thing's done. She's so much better than Coco. And then she gets blown out the next two matches. So it, it's a very different type of sport to bet on. And I'm not trained enough on the eye. Like, I can't tell watching it when they hit it. I'm like, is that a winner or is that going in the net? 
and I don't know till it happens. So you're just on edge, clenched, ready for the worst at all times. But it was one of the most intense gambling experiences I've ever had. Now, obviously, <laughs> that match is all time. The match first key yeah. was all time. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. By the way, so Arena Sabalenka, number one in the world. She's going to make the WTA finals. We're going to Cancun, Mexico. It's kind of a party. I feel like that could be like a barstool thing. You're, you're invited to join us in Cancun for I the WTA finals. So, so what, what is that? What is the Cancun? Is this, so that's Cancun? <laughs> that, that, that's the end of October, first week of November. Top eight players in the world come together to play each other. To, it's the year-end championships. Okay. What happened in that? You guys can be the ones that tell. What happened in the second and third set with, with Coco and Sabalenka? Well, what, Co what Coco changed? figured it out. L uh, listen, uh, Arena How started getting... figure out her power? Well, well you, you, you hit the nail on the head a little bit. Arena did start going a little bit fine. Coco started using her athleticism, put a lot of balls back in play, that cumulative pressure, plus serving a bit better. It all kind of got to her. And also, you notice, just a little bit too frustrated out there in between the ears. And, and then we saw, obviously, that, that racket break after. Grand Slam finals, try to be a little bit more calm out there, feel perhaps a few less errors, you know? Yeah. I may try to be her, like, mental, I, a mental coach and also, like, smash <laughs> tennis balls, not rackets or something. But I honestly thought she didn't have to try to be fine if she just – like volleyed with her she hits it so hard eventually she coco would crap but whatever dave, i'm 50 grand poor dave, dave i'm just gonna extend this invite because your analysis seems pretty spot on we have a beautiful tennis channel desk at the miami open that's going to be end of march so that's right around the corner from you you want to come join us on the desk perhaps an interview with sabalenka perhaps a little analysis like i'm just saying open invite all right, I like that. I'll be there. That's I'm going to take you. I know I'm going to go see her. I got to go watch her in Miami. So yes, I'll take you up. And I'm just telling you, we're going to work on the mental game. And I don't mind the smashing rackets. It's just don't. You're so good. You don't have to be perfect. That would be my advice to her. It's pretty yeah. good. And that, pretty that's good. that's the way it is. I mean, you're going to lose half the points either way. So you don't have to be perfect still to win the match. Uh, listen, Cancun, Miami, wherever you can make it, Dave. We'll get you a Tennis Channel hat, just like Aaron Rodgers was rocking at the U.S. Open as well. Uh, thank you for spending some time with us here on TC Live. And, uh, you know, best of luck betting on Sabalenka the rest of the year. Yeah, for the rest of my life. For year, <laughs> Emotional roller coaster. Dave Portnoy joining us here on TC Live. There is Arena, I mean Dave, throwing out the cracked racket after she smashed it. Our favorite moments of the U.S. Open are coming up next. Back on TC Live, there is the man of the moment, the man of the people, with the ball kids and his fourth U.S. Open trophy, number 24 overall in terms of major singles titles. The celebration continues inside Arthur Ashe Stadium. And how about this? The U.S. Open was the only major where Djokovic was in third place for titles among the big three. He's first place Australian Open titles with 10, tied for second, Roland Garros, Wimbledon, but he was in third in the U.S. Open. Now he has tied Nadal with four titles at the U.S. Open. There's some new motivation. See, some motivation right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at, in Paris, he's got a lot of motivation to go. catch up to, uh, to Rafa. Here's how it went down. Uh, this is the, the, the closest somebody got to Novak Paul all tournament. Lazlo Gera had, had him 
down to rights a little bit, but but and yet watching this match, you were like, he's he's going to win. Yeah, Prakash <laughs> and I just said today's match was closer than this. And uh, can I throw you under the bus like that, Prakash? Please, okay, please, All please. Right. Because any, any time I'm thinking on the same wavelength as Mr. Go. Anaco, we're that's a good day for me. We're a doubles team. Jared did a great job the first two sets, and then guys, right here, six four six four one zero break point. That's when I went to sleep. Two zero <laughs> in the third set. Novak Djokovic said, "It's been fun, but we're about to hit a new." Gear. I think Carlos did as well. He was like, I went to sleep. I knew he was going to run. Yeah, I mean, look, this, Jared did a terrific job, but it's just so amazing that Novak is able to click, right? He goes off the court after that second set, gives himself a stare down in the mirror in the restroom as he changes his gear, and then uh, next thing we know, he's up 6-1, 6-1, a break in the fifth, and he's like... I am ready to go, gang, and he is just something special. And I think it's good to have a match like this for mm. one of the players. You don't want to have four of them, but one match like that's just fine. He was never the underdog. Down two sets to love, he was still the betting favorite. I, think he, he I think he does it on purpose. He wants players <laughs> okay. to feel like they have a chance. And then, then he, wants, <laughs> then he just cuts the heart out. Like it's, He gets more pleasure out of that. It can't be too easy, Prakash. Well, another, another great example of why best of five over the course of 14 days it's just a completely different beast. You know, I mean, what if we change it to best of three for the first four rounds? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think, you know, another reason why it needs to stay a little... Stay the way it is. No cap. That would have never happened. No cap. This side. That would have never happened. That would have never happened in a best of three set match. He wouldn't have gotten down no, that way. Okay. That's that wouldn't have happened. That, that, that's a fair point. So he did that. He was like, it's five. Sometimes, I got time. Sometimes I'm not I think, here It's a nice night. Sometimes I think he does. He, granted, sometimes, you know, you don't play as well. That's just part of tennis. But... You lean into it. Everybody's getting punchy. <laughs> show just got good. Show just got good. We're 50 some minutes in. losing it. He's just going, getting so going. Lean no into it. stuff to say about Novak. Like, it's just, he, he's just the greatest. This is the channel. Like, you know what? Maybe he loses on purpose when he loses on purpose. He didn't Goes lose. Down. It's Goes just down. a set. It's just a set. It's not nothing important for Kosh. That that was that was a special moment this tournament. Let, let's get. I want to get everybody's biggest, most memorable moment of the U.S. Open, Shanna, starting with you. For me, it was Justin Bieber, Steve, <laughs> watching Coco oh. Golf. Wait, wait, behind those shades. Okay. Behind the shades, what I I don't know, mm. but I was here for it. It was like an alien coming to the U.S. Open type <laughs> look, but. I was there for it. And, and remember, she said after the match, she was like, I saw Justin, and I was like, I can't lose with Justin Bieber watching me. I didn't I, lose another game. I feel that energy. <laughs> I felt that energy, and it's it's absolutely correct. And I enjoyed it. That was my, like, my favorite the, moment. The haters, you can't deal with that. The Bieber. Like, these are the motivations that the kids have, Paul. I can deal with all of it, Steve. I got, okay. I, Chanda stole my moment right there. That was actually <laughs> what I was going for. It's like, like one of the aliens in the Men in Black 3. With those, with Who's that? Yeah. Prakash, you go. Come on, Prakash. Okay. What do you got? Okay. I mean, I, I got to go with what, what happened today. After, I mean, I'm going to go on a little bit of a personal note here, but when, when Novak put on the shirt, he had his picture of him That's and Kobe, mm -hmm. 24, Mamba forever. I mean, you and I talk all the time. I mean, Kobe means so much to me. And w when I look at both of these guys together and their connection, I've actually had a chance to talk with Novak off air about how close he was with Kobe. It's so much more than tennis or basketball. I mean, Kobe, for example, when you when you think of him, I just think of pulling more out of yourself. I think of the exact same with Novak. And when they're able to use sport as that medium to show us all that lesson for so many years, uh, it's such a special gift. It's tough to explain because it, it quite frankly, 
goes into each of our lives as well. So I, I, I definitely got a little bit teary when I saw that, and I think it was beautiful that he did that. Yeah, and listen, I, we don't root here, but at Wimbledon, I had the question ready. You know, when he, when he, if he were to win, yeah. that would have been number eight yeah. at Wimbledon and number 24 overall. Oh, there you go. And it would have been such synergy yeah. with, with the Mamba. And uh, obviously he gets 24 here and, and is able to, to represent and, and show that US, love. In the U.S., in the U.S., yeah. it's perfect. All yeah. good things. What, uh, what was your wait. favorite moment? Uh, my favorite moment was seeing three American men in the final eight. I think it was really nice to see three of the American men that have been do doing such great tennis in the final eight. That means there are three guys right there knocking on the door. Ben Shelton, that man right there, Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz made his first quarter final. Francis Tiafo is there. There's just, I mean, there's a lot of different men that we're talking about, but to see the three in the final eight was really special because that gets right to the end of the tournament. It's a long time now. We can talk about Seb Korda, Riley Opelka's trying to get healthy again, but these these young American guys are really right there. They're, they're right behind uh, the elitist uh, few players that are out there. So I think that that's a great sign. And the belief with them is really strong. You know, I, I don't think that they're, they're in their minds limiting themselves to top 10, top... I, I think they really think, you know what, I can get to the top of the game. I can be winning multiple Grand Slams, especially when you talk to them. They have that genuine belief. So to, uh, hopefully just a building, building step, and we continue to see even more of this. And we've been seeing it, I think, for the last few years in particular, just the motivation they get from each other, having a small group of guys, you know, really pushing and vying for those spots, moving up the ranks, getting to quarters and semis um, of majors. And, and the next step is a final. And I think that is what we've been looking for. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's great to see. It takes a little pressure off, but it also adds you know, to that push. Speaking of the future, got to give a shout out to Catherine Huey, who won the U.S. Open Junior Girls Show title Cal. from Team San Diego in a few weeks. She's go. heading to Stanford. Nice First job. player to win this title, U.S. Open Junior Girls title, to play college tennis since Beth Hur back in the 1980s. Great wow. job. Lerner Tien got to the finals of the junior. Yes, he did. Another Southern Cal guy. So, so, so Cal is the way to go. West Coast, best coast, right? Uh, it is the highly anticipated, often imitated, but never duplicated best of the best from the U.S. Open. That's straight ahead. Squad back with you on TC Live. Next week, we just keep on going on here on Tennis Channel. WTA action in Osaka and San Diego. Chanda's going to be calling those matches with Shelby Rogers, Angebur, top seed in San Diego. Caroline Garcia, the two seed. Emma Navarro, Clervy Gunaway, both qualifying. How about the U.S. Davis Cup team? Going to Croatia to play some tennis. We've got all your Davis Cup finals action as well. Time now to run through the first half of our best of the best countdown from the U.S. Open. That means 10 through 6, Paul. And with you, we start with Karolina Mukhova. Quarterfinals, a little bit of magic wand work. A lot of magic wand work. Mukhova, one of the more talented players out on the tour. Look at the little variety slice, then the hard hit two-hander. How about the little flick angle continental grip a la Prakash Amritraz right here? Watch her just stretched out. Actually, that's more like VJ Amartraj right there. That, that is, like like, that is that's Beach right there. Only difference was that was his actual forehand grip. <laughs> 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 Number nine, Chanda Medvedev, Dimonor, tweener alert. We always like a good tweener, Steve. Ooh. And you know, usually when you hit a good tweener, what do you do? You win the point, mm -hmm. and that's what happened here. Medvedev, this was the fourth round match against Dimonor, and he comes up with some good stuff. 
Yeah, that's keep number the crowd nine. in it. Yeah, let's, you get, let's go. Give me, give me the love. Give him the love at number eight. Prakash Ben Shelton facing Aslan Karatsev. Third round. This kid put on a show in New York City. He certainly did. And look, the Cavs did not help Karatsev here. And who says Shelton's backhand is a weakness? Check out that flick on the dead run. Outside court energy. Loving it. High fives to the crowd. Didn't see the didn't see the phone celebration here, but got a good stare down after the little flick. Oh, he gave some love out there, right? A little he high did. five. He Box did. office Ben right there. Uh, number seven, Paul. Taylor Townsend, Layla Fernandez in doubles. Point was good, but but we are here for the celebration, Paul. Wait till the end of this. You thing. love the celebration, so do I. Look at all of the different things that happened this morning. How about Taylor right here? There you go, Taylor Townsend. You gotta love that. <laughs> Beautiful flick topspin lob. That is some high stuff. That's some good right stuff there. right high there. High knees, high knees, into the lawnmower. <laughs> I mean, Taylor Townsend, honorable mention, moment of the tournament for sure. Number six, Chanda Novak Djokovic in the point, but the shot goes to Laszlo Gera. Yeah, this was one of those moments where Djokovic was in trouble. Is that what you said, Paul? That Not shot. so much. That was a highlight of the match for Gera. Even it. Djokovic. Look at that stretch. Amazing wow. backhand. Even Djokovic had to give him the little hand yep. clap there at the end. Can he raise all that? Give it to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's thumbs up. We like it. Thumbs up, but I'm, I'm going to give you two sets and come back and win this thing. Yeah, Sorry. you're still not winning the match, but <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> We've got five through one best of the best still to come. And a reminder to stay connected to the U.S. Open on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Join the conversation with hashtag U.S. Open five through one. That means the best of all the best is still to come next. I don't rhyme all the time. All right, we are back with the second half of our best of the best. That means it is better than what you saw before. This is five through one. Countdown from the U.S. Open. Top shots at number five, Prakash, from the women's final. Sabalenka, golf. Well, Coco doing what she does, moving like the flash, tracking down balls absolutely everywhere. Now, the crowd was about to go crazy after this long from Coco. You thought that was it, but let's spare a moment for the number one player in the world with that marvelous lob, drops the racket. Coco can't believe it. And uh, a little bit of shine on a day that could have been better for Arena. Yeah, beautiful lob here from Arena Sabalenka. It would not be enough, as always, with some of these hot shots. It's not the winner that always gets them. At number four, Paul, we've got Daniil Medvedev and Carlos Alcaraz in the semifinals. And if this is number four, you know we got some great stuff coming. Yeah, this is a highlight reel and so many great points from Medvedev during the match. How about the slice one-handed pass? How did he hit that hard enough to get past Alcaraz? He was full of magic tricks uh, on Friday. And right here, look at this one, fully stretched out. Alcaraz trying to go to the squash shot volley, just can't quite get there. That's almost a full split I as know, well. I pulled my groin just watching that. <laughs> and he popped right up from it. No problem. Yeah, yeah. He's only 20. Uh, Chad at number three, Coco Golf, Flor Sigmund. This point had everything. And, you know, Steve, I'm always here for a player almost falling down. <laughs> a good tweener as well. Oh, that's what we have here. This time, the tweener hitter didn't win the point. It was golf. The volley was maybe the least great point of, yeah. least great shot of that point, but it was the sum total effort from golf. Pretty nice tweener, though, from Sigmund. A very nice tweener, but, I mean. She would lose that point and the match, so, you know. Hitting the ball from your tush, though, as well. I mean, that, that's... That takes talent. Very much so. 
getting up from your tush to get in position <laughs> is even more talent. Number two, Prakash, Francis Tiafo. This was back in the first round against Lerner Tien. Big foe was in his bag. Well, a great experience for Lerner Tien to be out here, but uh, just the difference between being able to do what he's done and stepping up to the majors outside the alley, hooks it up the line, flexes the muscles. You see that, uh, Weissman? You gotta, when you do a shot like that, you gotta pull up the shorts a little bit, flex the quads. That's exactly what he did. <laughs> see? Right. There we go. Come on. <laughs> They're wearing him shorter and shorter these days. Uh, number one, Paul, back to Carlitos against Dan Evans in the third round. Uh, some great points between these two. Look at the wheels, guys. How does he no. hook that no. ball in? And he almost fell. He's he right flying. there. He almost fell, he and he still got that. That's another VJ Armitage continental forehand pass, isn't it? I like it. Look at that. Look, he, he was yeah. going. He, he was tripped. going down. Look, he's got VJ's grip right here. Gosh, right there, just Conti kind of flicks around the outside of the ball. Straight out 75. <laughs> I, I love it. Great to see it. I love the delay too. Wasn't sure it yeah. went in. Was it and in? Then he's was like, it in? Was yes, it in? Yes, I got it. That. Oh, good. Our top shot from the U.S. Open well this done, year. Well done, team. Good job. Well done. Time now to enter the social net, and, and we flash back to this beautiful shot. Last two American teenagers to win the U.S. Open singles title side-by-side. Side. Serena and a young Coco Chanda. I oh, love this, and we were trying to determine how old Coco was there. We're guessing maybe about 12, perhaps, I'd say in that range. Yeah, seems about right. Yeah. A little bit of design in this beautiful universe of ours. Serena playing her last U.S. Open last year, and then coming in, Coco stepping into her greatness this year. Who knows? Hopefully she will just uh, continue the rise and uh, the young queen will uh, will turn into... Yeah, we love uh, this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's talked so much, Coco, as well, about the influence, being able to go and watch Venus and Serena, the dancing photos of her at the Open yeah. uh, when she was 11. So love these kinds of pictures and things coming full circle. Yeah, she said, listen, I would not be here if it was not for Venus and Serena. And so the legacy continues. And how about this? With uh, the OG Corey, Pops right there, been with her since the start. Called him out for crying for the first time she ever saw him cry when she won the title. But uh, Chanda, once again, this, is, this goes back years. They, they've been together since the jump. Yeah, this is the base. And we see so much of, you know, how poised Coco Golf is, how calm she stays under pressure. All of these terrific uh, things that she's able to do at such a young age. And a lot of it comes down to these moments early on where, you know, they were working, working together and establishing, you know, what's important. And it's not always about winning a tennis match. Right. We talk so much about how great she is as a player. I think we need to keep talking a little bit more about the person that she is and she's become. And a lot of it is because of Corey and Candy, right? They've done such a great job keeping her uh, within perspective about what's happening on the tennis court. And I think that's what's going to help her rise even to more heights than what we've seen this weekend. This is just the beginning. So, uh, I hope they enjoy the ride. It's going to be a fun one. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, now uh, Coco, of course, working with Brad Gilbert and, and, and Corey not being there in her box and so forth. They're still as close as ever. And, and the fact that he had the strength and the love for Coco, knowing, you know what, this is what she needs at this moment in her career, that says even more about their relationship and how close they are. This is just such a magnificent picture to see. On the Instagram Live today, Coco was like, I live at home. I'm going to live with my parents for probably like two more years. I, I love living there. So <laughs> listen, a lot of credit to Candy and Corey, as you mentioned, Paul, uh, raising just a, a brilliant human. Yeah. And speaking of brilliant humans, Novak Djokovic, number 24. The show continues after this.
TC Live at the U.S. Open is brought to you in part by Tennis Express. We deliver tennis right to your front door. Order today, ships today. All right, it's that time for the final time. People, stars in the stands, we love this segment. Shout out Jermaine. Jerry Seinfeld in the house. It's not New York, right? Unless Seinfeld's in the building. Oh, yeah. That's... And his wife, Jessica... What is showing up for the men's final? What, what do you think it would take with all the reboots going on? I mean, can we get like a like an like a reunion mm. episode, something? I mean, I think we'd all be here for that. I all right? love that. Count me in. Count me in. There he is. All right, all right, oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> when you got an Oscar winner sitting in your box. By the way, Matthew McConaughey, brilliant tennis player, loves the game that bit. He picked up a thing or two from yeah. Novak today. You hit with him? Yeah. Spent a few hours out there with him he earlier this year. picked it up from Prakash. Two hats. Well, what I will say, I gave him a couple of things, and the guy uses instructions huh. so well. For a guy who's only been playing for four months, but loves the game. One-hander, two-hander? One-hander. One-hander? Strikes it beautifully. JT. Strikes it beautifully. Triple threat right there, Justin Timberlake. Yep. Taking in a little bit of tennis. On the stage, yeah. Yeah, taking a little tennis Justin today. Oh, my God. Megastar. Yeah. He, he, he looked upset. Maybe this was when Medvedev was coming back in that <laughs> second set. He's like, no, I'm here for greatness. <laughs> this was just the tip of the iceberg, by the way. There were so many yeah. stars in the stands. Yeah. For all of them, visit people.com. We have loved that segment uh, every single TC Live. Because it's been packed. It's, it's been packed, right? It's the biggest event in New York every year. Yeah. It brings them out. Who's who? You want to be there. You want to be in the building. Not just watching it from TV. Just like Hamilton, right? Yeah. In the room where it happens. That's that's where, that's where the folks are. We, we, and yeah. Lin Manuel. We saw him there, there too. He was yeah. there too. He was in he the was room where it happened. Yeah. All right, like we did yesterday, it is time for our way, way too early 2024 Australian Open picks. This time, September. On the men's side. Yep. Uh, Chanda, we start with you. Oh, we kind of gave it away earlier talking about how great he is and that there's no stopping him. He can maybe get to 28 major titles. And then some, Novak Djokovic. Yeah. I think he's going to start the year, you know, winning. He's won, he's won Australia once or twice, has he? Once a or twice times. or 11 times. Twice <laughs> times five. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere <laughs> Suits right. him well, I think, those conditions over there. Um, oh, you, you're looking over here? You look, okay, because Novak has looked so good over these last six months, bounced back from that Wimbledon final, I am going to pick Alcaraz. Because mm. I think going a little bit back and forth could be healthy for Novak, maybe finding his motivation there. I love to see it. I mean, that Wimbledon final was something else. Since he, too, love to see that in a few more Grand Slam finals. So I think Alcaraz coming out on top could contribute to that. I like, I like where Prakash is coming from. I, I feel the same way. I think uh, last year... Carlitos couldn't play down in Australia this year. Yep. I think this fall he's going to have a little different idea. He's uh, skipping Davis Cup this week. He's probably going to have a little bit uh, more time in the offseason. I think on those hard courts in Australia, he's going to uh, set uh, set a tone for 2024. Well put. Not, not that you all are wrong, but I'm going with you, Chanda. I mean, listen, the Grand Slam. That's, that's the motivation next year. Tough to bet against him, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. we're going for a Grand Slam. And it, and it, it starts by winning in Australia, number 11. It Wouldn't that happen. be something? 37 years old? That'd be crazy. Grand Slam? Yeah. Would I he mean, stop what? then? Would he stop then? No. No. Uh, uh, Do you retire I, after you win all four? How <laughs> good of a walk-off would that be? I, I mean, right now, huh? the, the ultimate walk-off for me, even though he has less Grand Slams, you, you, you can't beat Pete's walk-off. He did it. Right? Yeah. He got that extra one past 13, which yeah. at that time was giving a cushion for the record. It's that final one against Andre. So poetic. First Grand Slam final. Save two guys. Walked off into the sunset. That's it. I'm done. I like it. Uh, so maybe Novak wins all four next year and says, guys, I had enough. But Novak sees Carlitos and he's like, I need more of a cushion. I need to keep on going. Oh, piling see, on. that's what I'd love to see them, you know, a little bit more. Go at it. Another final between those two would be something special. Yeah. 
Uh, it's been fun. Thanks, you guys. What been. a great tournament again, U.S. Open. We did it. We, 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 we had some special moments. You know, we had some, some brilliant insight. We had some colorful moments when, you know, Chan said, you know, I don't realize what it is, you know, with kids and everything. We, we, and we had, a little, we had a little what's your code. That's it, right. It was, our, it was our beautiful TC family doing what we do. It is. And you know what? We do. I like that. We, we keep doing it tomorrow. Chan is back here to, to work San Diego. I'm never leaving. How about, how about the team behind the camera? Oh, yeah. Huska producing every single day. Amazing stuff. Castro directing. Everybody behind the scenes. We appreciate y'all. And especially the viewers at home. Thank you so much for watching TC Live at the U.S. Open.